Give it up, baby. I've studied all your moves. Yeah, study this! <laughs> What's good, everybody? Welcome to the Forbidden Technique podcast on the Fight Side Podcast Network with myself, your host, Silas Martin, my co-host, as always, Christian Reynolds. And today, we got a whole bunch of fights to get into from Weekend Just Gone and coming up. This pay-per-view I'm looking at, it's taken some lumps, and much like with last week, I'm not going to say it's a bad card by any measure, but it's it's just kind of weird. And particularly for a pay-per-view, it's a bunch of fights that are cool but nothing that really screams oh yeah this is a pay-per-view i'm also going to be talking about uh, ufc fight night stephen thompson versus kevin holland later in the episode but let's just get straight on into this main event jan blahovich fighting magomed ankulaya for the now vacant uh, ufc light heavyweight title uh jerry prahowska unfortunately vacated the title due to a severe shoulder injury uh so of course we I really hope that the Jerry Browsk is going to be okay and going to be able to recover and still have good performances. Of course, TJ Dillashaw just retired because of the horrible shoulder injury that he's been dealing with. So I hope that we're not going to be looking at something like that. Ian Blahovich is fighting Magomed Ankalaev. Good fight. I feel like a lot of people are going to look at this and be like, yeah, you know, Ian Blahovich... He got, like, wrestled up and then dropped and submitted by Glover Teixeira got out-wrestled um, by Corey Anderson and I want to say Pat Cummings back in the day. Oh, Magomed Ankalaev will just wrestle. Look at his beard. Of course he'll wrestle. Um, he, he kind of he never wrestles at all. He can do it a bit when he needs to. It's never really been a centerpiece of any of the performances he's had. Even against Paul Craig, a lot of that fight was him Actually, in a, in a lot of situations, getting taken down by Paul Craig, um, but then just winning scrambles and ending up on top. Um, yeah, he's a he's a kickboxer. He's a kind of pressuring, like southpaw, triple attack and right hook, like aggressive counterpuncher dude. Um, and that's why I'm going to pick Jan Blahovic to win easily, because Jan Blahovic is just like classiest, most consistent kickboxer at light heavyweight. Uh, for all of his issues, he is extremely hard to win kicking battles against, which straight away uh, I feel like makes this a hard one for Magomed Ankalaev, just because uh, I feel like I don't think Ankalaev is a particularly deep boxer in a vacuum. Like his lead hand is, you know, a right hook that he can kind of like herd people into off of the stuff that he throws off of his left side, but he doesn't have much of a jab to speak of. You know, he needs. He needs to be kicking off of his punches and punching off of his kicks, and I feel like as like if Yan's able to just shut down his kicks early, that's that's going to be difficult. And Yan is one of the most diligent kick defenders in the sport of MMA. Um, and then just like we've seen, Yan Blahovich dismantle kind of rope southpaw kickboxers. I think Magomed Ankalaev has shown to be a bit more of a you know, consistent, proven quantity than someone like Dominic Reyes, who has a bit more connective tissue to. Run, wanted to run a similar kind of game, but 
I don't know that there's actually that much more depth to it. And, like, he's not going to wrestle. He didn't try to wrestle against Tiago Santos after he got dropped when he's fighting a really dangerous kickboxer who is allergic to wrestling and has no knees. So, I don't, what do you think, Christian? Uh, we don't really see a way that Ankalaev is going to be able to stay in range without getting diced up. I think maybe if he can get Jan to like aggressively pursue him for any stretch long periods of time, he's actually going to have some good counter success because it's a bit of a counterpuncher versus counterpuncher matchup, but Jan is just better when he's at neutral range than Ankalaev is by a pretty dramatic margin, I think so. Yeah, and the fact that Ankalaev is, like I say, more of an aggressive counterpuncher. Um, I feel like he's going to be the one like throwing away stuff to and giving Yan like initiative on counter punching opportunities more in this kind of matchup. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think that uh, Ankalaev though is pretty consistent about not over overextending himself too much, and his mechanics are overall pretty sharp. So something like that could be difficult for for Yan. Uh, That's fair. I think Ankalaev actually has a lot more to offer as like a kickboxing like opponent than like Jerry would for uh for Blovich. But it, it is weird to me because people have treated Ankalaev as if he's just like a nightmare matchup once he starts getting to like the the pure strikers, but he's a mostly pure striker himself that just has a takedown. Like people forget he got taken down by Paul Craig. Blahovich actually could end up on top of Ankalaev at certain points. I was just going to bring this up. Like, is there actually a chance that we see uh, Big Yan's wrestling clinic make a return? I, I really don't think so, but I wouldn't be that surprised if Ankalaev just wasn't anticipating because he's not a bad defensive wrestler. It's just, it's, he's, he's a striker. No, and he, and he doesn't accept bottom position either. No, he does not. He, he's, he's actually a better defensive wrestler than he is a takedown defender, I think. He- yeah, like like he'll actually get up pretty consistently, but he he has had a a silly thing where people are like, oh well, he's Russian, he must be a wrestler. Yeah, people think he's just like a like a huge Islam Makachev or something. Like, you know, yeah, there's some similarities other than just the beard. It's mostly just the beard. So how how do you think uh, Ankalaev reacts to the Black Blitzes? He probably gets hit by it. Um, but I also think that maybe he'll just stand his ground and counter the first pu- two punches before the kick even gets thrown. Yeah, that really could be like more his opportunity to um, to get the counters off if he can draw those moments out of Blahovich. But I'm not sure that Blahovich will necessarily even need to resort to them if he's just like got a guy coming into range at him who he can himself strand on the end of jabs and kicks. I think there's a not insignificant chance that if Ankalaev just attempted to counter literally every single straight punch for the first round, he might just get a, a random lucky KO. Not even lucky. It's just like, he has a good chance because uh, uh, like Blahovich is a, a, an adaptable striker. If something's not working, he'll notice. And if something is like not getting set up where he wants it to, he's not going to try and do it anyways. He'll he'll wait for his moment. So it's possible that he could just try and establish a threat and get dusted kind of immediately. I wouldn't actually be that surprised by it. I can see it pretty clearly in my head. Him just trying to set up a block of blitz and it not really doing much, and then him just sitting he just down. Just gets on, right hooked. Yeah, he, he like he sets down on uh, the one two too hard and just gets fucking clattered by a slip right hand. Very strange fight that. 
I'm actually more excited for than I expected to be. Yeah, and um, it now being five rounds on short notice, I guess raises some questions, but I don't, I don't think either guy is really going to try to like drag the other guy into a pace war. These are both guys who, if they can't just get a finish in the first couple of rounds, they tend to want to fight at a pretty medium-controlled pace for the rest of the fight. Mm-hmm. And and neither has gone a hard five rounds before, so I don't think there's any reason. No, I, 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 can't, really, I can't really think of Jan Blachowicz going five rounds apart from um, his fight with Israel Adesanya. And Jacare. Yeah, yeah, it's those two, which the Israel Adesanya one, he was able to dictate the pace really comfortably and then just, like, eke out the last two rounds on top. And the Jacare fight, they just clinched up against the cage for 25 minutes. It was awful. All of the other times that he's been scheduled to fight 25 minutes, it's just ended up getting finished one way or another. Normally, like, I mean, not even normally, just before it even gets to the fourth round. Yeah. um, But he's also just one of the more, like, uh, consistent guys when it comes to just pace and output and just throwing stuff away. Uh, I, I feel like I can trust him to keep it keep it up for five rounds and not kind of just run out of ideas and get bored of his work in the way that I feel like Ankalaev did against Thiago Santos, even though he won that fight very clearly. So uh, we both picking Big Yan then? I thought we'd have more to say about this fight, but it, it's just... Uh, it's, it's somewhat cut and dry. Like, Ankalaev is not that adaptive of a threat, but we haven't seen uh, Jan against this exact archetype before. So, yeah, and maybe Ankalaev just pulls out some shit for this fight that we just not that we're not expecting. Yeah, it, maybe he just offensively wrestles Jan the entire fight. Oh my god, he's gonna do that, and we're gonna look dumb. I mean, he is a kickboxer. Like, you can watch his other fights and be like, oh yeah, that's that's correct. He's not really a wrestler. Why would he not do it against Tiago Santos? particularly after getting dropped. I think it's just Thiago's larger, and his thing is he has, like, crazy hips, and Jan Lovitz just looks like he is more wrestleable. He's not actually yeah, like, more wrestleable. Well, like, watch the tape. <laughs> it's short notice, and it's also an MMA fight anyways, so it's like how well, much... The, 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 well, the fight itself isn't short notice. The, the fight no. was booked to be the co-main event. It's just been switched to the uh, five-round title fight on short notice. I... I do think Blahovich uh, over five is a, a noticeably different fighter than him over three, though. Yeah, he is aware of his limitations because, like, it's. I think it's funny about <clears throat> how, like, the UFC commentary have started talking about Jan Blahovich like he's just a fucking like bruising nuclear power puncher or something because he kind of for most of his career was known as a guy who was a respectable hitter but not a finishing hitter but also would gas out so he would have these kind of like Jorge Masvidal-esque decisions in most of his fights and then you know did he have a knockout for like his entire UFC run in between his UFC debut against Ilya Latifi and then going on a run of knocking out you know uh, Corey Anderson and Luke Rockhold, you know, pretty knockoutable people. Uh, no, yeah, he's a he, he's a volume boxer. Looking at his record, he he beat Latifi for five decisions consecutively. A win by the weird RNC against Devin Clark, 
Two more decisions. And a couple of weird submissions. You know, it's still light heavyweight. Like weird finishes are just liable to happen at any time. Yeah, and he he he's light heavyweight. Like you know, he can hit. It's just about uh, him really. Like he's a technique hitter. Like if if he lands you lands something like clean on you, that's pretty smart. He'll fuck you up real fierce. I think people just see him KOing Luke Rockhold with a silly arm punch, and it's like a that's Luke Rockhold, and b he did drop him with a high kick at the end of the first round. Yeah. And Blovich is like, uh, for an arm puncher, he he like knows how to hit hard with arm punches. And also, he's kind of hard to read. Like, I remember that I was thinking, you know, it's actually kind of hard to fight guys that, that are like arm punches frequently as like Strickland or uh, Jan Blovich, just because you can't really like tell what they're going to do because their mechanics are bad. So a lot of the things that you normally use as a trigger for counters or a trigger for your defense... Uh, or any sort of trigger is just not useful anymore. Like you can't look at their hip twitch and be like, "Oh, he's about mm. to throw a right hand." You just you just kind of get jabbed in the mouth. Also, now that we uh, brought up that Luke Rockhold knockout again, uh, remarkably similar to how Ankalaev got dropped by Tiago Santos, just taking his eye off the ball on a clinch break and getting clapped over his lead shoulder with a hook. That's something that Jan Blachowicz is really good at. Mm. Just a thing that's a cheat code about his whole game is that he can actually defend kicks at range and then if you try to clinch up with him he'll actually hit you yeah it's a it's a rare attribute for a fighter to have that comes up in pretty much all his fights just that he can defend kicks correctly and it has actually won him like two of his elite matchups yeah cool uh so yeah co-main event paddy pimbler versus jared gordon and i don't know about a a pay-per-view co-main event but Whatever, cool fight. Uh, I think Jared Gordon is probably the best fighter that I'm still going to pick Paddy Pimblett to kind of just beat by accident at some point. I don't know, what do you think? I think Paddy is, uh, he's going to have to bring out the dog in him if he doesn't just randomly... I mean, he, uh, he always brings out like the dog. So something notable about his UFC run. <laughs> this is the fact that he always has to bring out the dog. Yeah, he, you can give him a lot of shit, but... He has the dog in him. He does. Uh, Jared Gordon, though, he's he's gonna like try so fucking hard to break Patty. I think he's just gonna see his hair and be like, "Okay, I'm gonna break this guy. I, I can't not break someone that has this haircut." That's that's my analysis. Is that uh, Jared Gordon is going to be infuriated by Patty Pimblett's appearance and then uh, try really hard to finish him and probably get submitted? I'm gonna say, yeah, yeah, no, he's gonna try really hard to just out wrestle Patty Pimblett and then just get his back taken. Like just the striking and upper body clinching aspect of the matchup made me think that uh, Gordon Pimblett was gonna be kind of hard for Pimblett, but then Jujitsu just being an option. In fact, that Patty's genuinely very good at grappling. Independent of his other uh, silliness about his character, he's he's a good grappler. Yeah, and uh, his striking is also very silly, but um, he knows what he's doing. For and he's he athletic. Is. He's athletic. He can hit with some power. He has like he has pretty good finishing instincts. Yeah, like I said, J- Jared Gordon is going to try really fucking hard. He's going to do all the things he knows how to do, and it's probably going to work for a while, and then Paddy Pimblett's just going to stumble upon some just weird uh, dynamic offense that he has that will just work for him. But um, not picking that to happen against anyone who's even slightly better than Jared Gordon. That's no disrespect to Jared Gordon because he's a good fighter. But I don't know, 
Uh, Patty Pimble is weird. Yeah, I'm gonna say Patty by uh, his first second round submission. Yeah. Then we got Santiago Ponzinibbio versus Alex Morono. Yeah, Alex Morono stepping in late notice to fill in for Robbie Lawler, who was supposed to be in this fight. Uh... He's likely going to get absolutely jabbed the fuck up and, and maybe kicked the up. fuck up. Yeah, maybe like beaten up quite badly. Uh, unless he can start getting his tools to work in the first round. Because Ponzinibbio is getting up there in age to the point to where you have to bring it up every one of his fights. And yeah, it's not just that he's getting up there, you know. Is that like he's had reliable, no- like, bad performances as an old guy. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it's not just like, oh, he's getting old. You know, it's not, it's not like Stephen Thompson where we're still waiting for him to fall off. You know, we've seen, like, he's clearly a- aware of um, some of his own... Like, limitations due to age and regression. Limitations and regressions, and, like, that has massively affected the confidence that he comes into these fights with and is just, like, way more tentative about like uh, applying consistent pressure and like tentative in exchanges. Um, and that's just not good for the kind of fighter that Santiago Ponzinibbio is. Um, and Alex Morono is always really fucking well prepared and is a deceptively good counter puncher for how like wacky his punches look. So it is really just that Pons is getting up there in age that we're talking about this as a competitive matchup, to be honest, because if you run this back a few years, you know, yeah, Pons would, I think, too much quicker and cleaner on the feet, technically, and just, and just dice Morono up. But um, Just jab him in the eye and then low kick him yeah. every couple minutes. Yeah, but I can see him really just taking his eye off the ball and eating a big overhand, and if not getting finished, suddenly really just losing his groove. So I think I might actually pick Alex Morono. Oh, I'm going to pick Alex Morono because he's like genuinely a, a pretty competent strategist and he normally comes into a fight knowing exactly the way to win. And Ponzinibbio, not necessarily going to be the case if he's fighting a guy on short notice that he also a few years ago would have just dusted. Yeah. I can see him being like, oh, well, it's Alex Morono. Like, I'll I'll beat this guy's ass. I'm Santiago Ponzinibbio. I was supposed to be fighting Robbie Lawler. <laughs> yeah. Not really thinking about like the context of it. So I, I can see Ponzinibbio coming in, not even having to take him lightly. I think he could be trying his best and still have a hard fight with Alex Morono at this point. But I think he might actually take him lightly and get dusted. Really good. Maybe in the first round, because Morono, uh, going into the Donald Throne fight, he was like, yeah, I fucking knew. I like this guy. I, I can get this guy out of there like early. You know, I, I, I was thinking about the game plan. I want to come forward and like really aggressively try and beat him up in the first couple minutes. This has been a consistent weakness for Cerrone. Yeah, you saw that's like a two-minute fight or whatever, and in those two minutes, he does literally everything that you should do to beat Donald Cerrone, and it just works instantly. And again, it probably only worked because Donald Cerrone was old. Here. Yeah, but that's still pertinent, and you still got to give credit to the guy for doing exactly what he needed to do in the fight. So I, I've got to pick Alex Morono. Yeah, I'm going to say Morono by uh, finishing the late first round. I'm probably going to go with a decision, but it you could happen. Would not be surprised at this point. Um, Darren Till is fighting Drikus Duplessis. I don't like it. Uh, normally, not how we start mentioning a, a, our analysis for a fight, but I. No, I, go ahead. I, I don't like it. I think Darren Till versus Duplessis is going to be really fucking aggressive. I think we're going to get to see Darren Till trying his best 
for once because he, he's, he's gonna going have to, to try his best yeah, yeah exactly there, yeah. Drew, Drew, a, a, is, is, yeah he is not very good but he's powerful and aggressive so yeah i, I don't know it's a weird cool. thing where i like this fight a lot and i also dislike it a lot because i like it for the sake of Darren Till getting the fuck beaten out of him, but it also feels like kind of predatory matchmaking, where if you're paying attention, you're going to expect Darren Till is going to have a really fucking rough fight, even though he's been looking out of shape for his last several fights, and he's... Yeah, and, uh, and yeah, against a guy who... Uh, I, I, I don't particularly expect big things for even a middleweight. I don't know. It's just, just, a, just a, a limited banger, really. Um, but but again, not 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 someone who who I'm gonna say, oh, levels. Darren Till shouldn't lose to this guy because Darren Till, his own just kind of uh, blip prospect that made it to the top really quickly and kind of lost all of his confidence and kind of had it exposed that there wasn't that much depth to his game. But because of being put in those high-profile matchups and being like a popular personality with a particular demographic was, was just kept in elite matchups for a while. You're right, though. I preferred Darren Till versus Jack Hermanson. Something like that. Yeah, like that, that would be more fair to be giving him a fight against. Uh, like, really, I think Darren Till... I, I'm still in the camp that Darren Till is a good fighter that is fighting badly now for reasons separate to his actual skill potential i i think if you put an ai of darren till into a machine and then had it fight to the highest ability of his skill and not make terrible decisions that are influenced by uh, his kind of weak-mindedness i think he would be a very good fighter i think he would be like bordering elites uh i think he would have been able to beat matchups like robert whitaker for example, I think you kind of get to see shades of it in certain matchups like Kelvin Gastelum or Donald Cerrone. But he is, he's, his head doesn't work right. Absolute space case. He is not the smartest guy. He, he seems to know how to fight well, but he just makes terrible decisions and has horrible laughs and judgment that lose him fights all the time. Even if it's the entire fight that leads to it, like the Wonder Boy Thompson fight where he arguably should have lost, I scored it for him, but it doesn't really matter. It, he, fought bad in that fight yeah and i think this has only been made worse and worse by him like losing more and just losing more confidence like i think he was at his best when he believed he was unbeatable and you know you know that you look at like the the thompson and woodley fights that's also a classic example of one of these guys who comes in just like like athletic guy with a few tricks who can really like fuck people up and rises to the top really quickly and then is like oh i gotta fight technical as soon as they're in there with you know a matchup that they perceive to be just a a new level and it's like why don't you just fight like you fought before because it was it was working and it it made more sense for who you are and darren till also had uh he has had two distinct body changes throughout his career. Mm. He had his glow up where he, he got on steroids right before the Donald Cerrone fight where the fight before, which wasn't even that long ago, it was like three months before and the next fight. He has like huge fucking shoulders. His back is cut and he's looking like a, a weight class larger than he already had looked. Uh, and then there's after like pretty much ever since the Robert Whitaker fight, he has looked like, flat out like he's not on gear anymore 
like he, he's he's like off a cycle or he just doesn't train regularly anymore. Branson, he looked like disheveled. He just he just had like a shitty beard. He looked like he had just gone out of bed. Yeah, and all of the the like training footage we're seeing coming out of his camp right now is him looking just worse for wear and like he's not even training that hard. So you're gonna lose, all right? Yeah, I'm thinking just he's, gonna come he's, in actually, he's just gonna be like aggressive as fuck and just and just move forward and throw wild bombs and, and Darren Till's just gonna be like ah. Yeah, I think Darren is a pretty fucking bad matchup for Duplessis if he is in good form. He's paying but I'm attention. Just not yeah, I, I'm not expecting him to be in good form. I think he's gonna get bulldozed and maybe just get like taken down accidentally and then ground and pounded until he gets TKO'd. Probably early. Yeah. And in a, a like an, a borderline elite matchup, Bryce Mitchell's Ilya Kaporia. Yeah, like the other most relevant uh, fight on this card um, uh, after the main event yeah Mitchell Taporia um, pretty cool fucking fight uh, hard to see anything other than like Ilya Taporia defending takedowns and pressuring the shit out of Bryce Mitchell and absolutely slaughtering him on the feet but um, can you see a case for anything else happening uh, I think we might run into a situation where we notice that Tapuri is not as good of a defensive grappler as we would like him to be. Yeah, that did he, occur to he me. Did, he, had, he had difficulties against uh, Joseph Salal, uh, where he got like kind of wrestled later on. Like, not to any meaningful effect, but just something to worry about against an actually, uh, like, provably fantastic grappler. And an- another really solid strategist. Yeah, people can bring up that he fought Ryan Hall, but Ryan Hall is. Uh, as opposite of a jiu-jitsu matchup to Ryan or to Bryce Mitchell's, I can imagine. Yeah, it, it's like a pressure boxer who would aggressively pursues takedowns and is a top player and can kind of hang anywhere on the ground. I think it's it's you know reasonable to believe that Bryce might just be a lot worse off the off his back than uh, we have reason to believe he is. Like, it's not that long ago that he got submitted on Ultimate Fighter. True, but that is true. He seems to have leveled up significantly since then. And yeah, he he just he has the kind of top game where I I expect him to be very diligent about not accepting bottom position and like scrambling immediately. And um, yeah, being being really hard to actually keep in any kind of sustained positions. Whereas as you say we've seen kind of spots of that from Ilya Taporia. Like he like beat Yusuf Zalal really easily, but had kind of weird difficulties that you might not expect here and there, both offensively and defensively with the grappling with that fight, which was mostly what decided that fight. Um, I don't know, maybe it was after that fight that he decided he just wanted to just like walk people into the fence and knock them the fuck out. Um, but yeah, Bryce Mitchell, yeah, genuinely, yeah, provably fantastic grappler everywhere, and uh, another pretty solid strategist in his own right. Would not be surprised if 
you know, he's seen something in Taporia's grappling that he's going to be able to capitalize on. And if he just gets a takedown early and then you're just like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is this fight then. Like, like j- just gets Taporia in guard and just stays there for a bit. And it's like, oh, oh okay, this is, this is happening there then. Yeah, and then when it comes to, like, the tactical side of the, the matchup on the feet, I, I think that uh, Tapuria gives Mitchell the business. I think. Oh, I think uh, he does, but uh, now also now that I think more about I think it... I want to, like, Tapuria's not great going backwards. No, yeah, this is... It, well, it's, and, and it's more that, like, um, I feel like the dynamic on the feet is going to get decided a lot by how the wrestling dynamic plays out because Tapuria is going to be looking to pressure... And Bryce Mitchell is going to have to tie up and shoot in order to try and kind of stop him in his tracks. You know, that's going to be his way of standing his ground in that situation. And if he wins those tie-ups and is able to get Taporia down, then the fight also might just snowball for him on the feet as well. And he's going to be able to pressure and dictate range if it, if if he's willing to stand there and uh, and clash with Taporia and see who comes out on top, um, if he doesn't do that and he tries to like tries to like outfight and take the back foot and like concede that forward pressure to Ilya Taporia, he's just gonna get fucking diced. He's gonna get walked into the cage, and then punched in the body, and then punched in the head. He's walking away. He's gonna get knocked the fuck out. Yeah, um, Bryce has a. Uh... He has a good chin, but we haven't really seen it tested in the way that Tapuria is able to test it. And we've also seen Tapuria send people that are relatively difficult to knock out into death. Like Jai Herbert looked like he, he was literally going to die. Yeah. And I don't know who's, who's the biggest uh, hitter that Bryce Mitchell, I, like Bry- Bryce Mitchell, like for all that he's shown himself to be a good fighter at featherweight and he, he's beaten some very good people. He hasn't beaten anyone with the kind of just like pure explosive offensive dynamism that Ilya Taporia has, other than maybe like a very faded Edson Barboza. Um, and Edson's never been a hands guy the way that Taporia no. is. Um, and there was just so many other, so many other issues with Edson in that matchup that it just didn't really uh, ever become a factor. But whereas uh, other than that, you know, Bryce Mitchell, you know, he's fought Andre Feely. Other than that, he's kind of kind of fought a bunch of uh, bunch of guys who are kind of like him. Yeah, or or like flatly pillow fisted. I think that this matchup is very strange in the sense, though, that if Bryce isn't elite in the way that people are hypothesizing, you might be. He's gonna get the fucking shit beaten out of him in a way that's like career altering. Uh, quite possibly. So it's like kind of bad matchmaking in that I mean, sense, because uh, yeah, they're both undefeated, and technically Bryce has more wins. But it, not all records are equal. Like, Tapuria hasn't fought anyone spectacular either. Like, his his best win is probably, I mean, it's probably Dry Herbert or like Damon Jackson. So, like, neither one has great wins by any stretch. But just the way that he wins. Yeah, it's not the eye test. Like, the way that he wins is so much more fucking disgusting when he does get his win. I guess another thing about it as well is that something that we've said a lot about Bryce Mitchell is that he's obviously very good at what he does, but you have to wonder about how it fits into the meta of featherweight, particularly at the top end. Um, There is no grapplers at the top end of featherweight because 
this division has been run by people like Jose Aldo and Max Holloway, and it has just never been the path to uh, UFC gold at 145. So it's kind of like he might suddenly show up some kind of defensive wrestling liabilities that other people haven't been able to in Ilya Taporia, and he might be able to win this fight. But then, yeah, I, like I want to see him against um, like one of the genuinely like immortal anti-wrestlers in this division uh, want to see how his game works in that in that kind of situation yeah even just seeing him against uh like a lighter touch for that that kind of archetype and like korean zombie or korean zombie is a really fucking hard person to grapple basically impossible he's not as yeah but he's not as impossible to grapple as uh max holloway or or aldo i mean to bryce, to bryce mitchell's credit it's not fucking easy to just out grapple andre feely no, or Edson Barboza. Uh, it's easier to do it to Edson Barboza. Well, yeah, but Marquand Americani is, is like is a good grappler, and he couldn't really do it. Like, despite all of Marquand, he didn't even really do it early. No, yeah, Marquand didn't even get his early uh, like grappling win condition to to almost manifest. Like Marquand held down fucking Shane Burgos for a round and a half, and he couldn't really do like anything. To Edson. So it's not nothing by any stretch uh, to beat Edson Barboza like that. But Edson getting dropped is is like not a great look, especially since Mit- Mitchell. He's not pillifizing necessarily. He just doesn't hit hard. I would be kind of surprised if he was walking up to to Perry and putting any power on him. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me as much that he would kind of uh, that he would kind of shock a faded Edson Barboza who's worried about a takedown threat with a little boopy left hand and, and just drop him. That's that's, yeah. that, that's a thing that nothing crazy. Uh, so we both pick Ilya Taporia by homicide. Yeah, I think Ilya Taporia by being the first person to hit the body that Mitchell's fought. Oh uh, yeah, that's going to be a big one as well, and going to help with uh, anti wrestling. Okay, uh, headline in the prelims, we got Rosenstruck versus Dowkaus. Uh, my most twisted fantasy, you get my two least favorite heavyweights to fight each other, and hopefully one of them can knock the other one out. Is Rosenstruck going to outclass Darkus? Maybe. I think he really might. Has Rosenstruck ever outclassed anyone? Uh, Augusto Sakai. Uh, yeah, I guess if that's what you mean by an outclassing. I think it's a lot more likely that uh, Chris Dorcas is just going to like try to put volume on Rosenstruck and get knocked out with a little boopy lead right hand. Well, yeah, what I mean by he's going to try or he's going to like outclass him is that he's just going to do his normal game and it's going to work exactly as intended. Yeah, he's not a deep counterpuncher, but he's like pretty quick and accurate and he he hits pretty hard. And he can just like, he can just keep his eye on the ball in a, in an exchange and just snipe someone as they come in on him. So that's probably going to happen. Yeah, I just don't think Darkus is a good enough. There's no defense when he's throwing. Like, what's like? Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't think he's going to faint or to actually get the offense, like the offensive setups he would need to land on Rosenstruck. Because you know, Rosenstruck's issues aside, he he, he is a good or he's like a competent counterpuncher. He counted Ngannou twice in that sequence. Yeah, he he legit did things that would have knocked out uh, really shot old heavyweights. Or kind of small, physically underwhelming ones who aren't that durable. Yeah, Uh, and Darkus kind of fits that mold. He's he's not a large heavyweight. He was absolutely hulked by uh, Derek Lewis. 
you know, Rosenstruck's not the biggest heavyweight either, but he is he's larger, I believe. Uh, I'll have to see it to believe it to think that they are not going to have any meaningful size difference. But I think Rosenstruck's going to be like noticeably uh, I, larger. I think he's just like, I think he's just way more athletic. He has the physicality to be able to get away with being a slightly smaller heavyweight because he's just powerful as shit. Uh, Edmund Shabazian is fighting Dolce Lungenbula. Well, uh, striker who breaks versus wrestler who breaks. I'm going to pick the wrestler who breaks to be able to stay on top of that kind of dynamic. But also, uh, Edmund Shabazian tends to look pretty good in the first round on the feet before he breaks, so he might just get a first-round finish because Lungenbula doesn't have great defense and has been knocked out a bunch of times. That's that fight. Yeah, I'm thinking Dolce being very large, large. Yes. also could be an issue. It, he's five eight, so like you'd think he's not, but he is the the light yeah, heavyweight of the he, two. He is he's strong. I I can see him just as soon as they tie up, just kind of horsing Shabazian around and getting to do what he wants. Yeah, I wouldn't be entirely surprised though if he got like no, submitted. Might just, maybe might just like throw Shabazian in the air and just get guillotined or something like that. Also, might just get like head kicked in thirty seconds. You never know. Yeah. Uh, Chris Curtis is fighting Joaquin Buckley. This fight's sick. Yeah, I don't know why it's so low on the card. That's one of the better fights. No, this fight's dope. Like, you just got two fucking short king stocky boys who are just going to sling it out in the pocket. Yeah, and Chris Curtis seems to know where he went wrong in the Hermanson fight, which is good to see. Because Yeah, I also don't think any of that stuff's going to come up in oh, this no, fight. Oh, no. Obviously not, but I... I feel like a lot of people got down on him because he had the um he had like the, the outburst. He kind of underperformed on short well, notes against what turned out to be a, a hard style matchup and then he got mad at the end of the fight and then afterwards was like, nah, I was a dick. Yeah, he was like, sorry, I was an asshole. I, I will adapt and overcome, basically. Now Chris Curtis is a good guy. Um What's going on with Wacky Buckley? I I really think that his skill set is like nothing to write home about, but he is so uh, enthusiastic about trying new shit. Like he, he he'll have like a similar ish performance where he just does like new things that he hasn't done before that kind of either win him or lose him the matchup. Yeah. He wants to be a real student of the game, but he has no idea what like his actual game is or how to f- fight in a way that makes sense for him. He just seems to go around to different gyms and just like learn moves and try them. And sometimes it works for him because he's athletic as fuck. Um, but he's probably going to get like picked apart by Chris Curtis, right? Uh, one would assume. Uh, Chris Curtis just actually being like a, like, yeah, less explosive, but still like very fast for the weight and just way more. Uh, like technically efficient and actually process driven striker. Yeah, he's, he's not a, a bigger hitter. He's just a better hitter than Buckley. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that he's going to kind of make Buckley look like amateurish for certain parts of the fight. And then maybe do a lot of what Kevin Holland did without having to have the gargantuan reach advantage that Kevin Holland. Yeah. Had. He, he just has like the goods to be able to, like maneuver around him on the feet and make him look silly. Yeah. yeah, let's not let's not forget that Buckley gave Kevin Holland his last ever like a subtle ranged boxing performance. And not really that much has changed uh from Buckley since then. If anything, in some ways he's no. regressed, in some ways he's improved. 
he is not a fighter who has progressed linearly at all. He has gotten better in some ways and worse in other ways as his career has progressed. No, because in that fight with Kevin Holland, it seemed like he, he knew what he was doing stylistically a lot more and he seemed to fight in a way that made sense and if he had just continued progressing and building on the kind of things that he was doing around that fight then he genuinely could be a force if he was actually just like just like pressuring and throwing combinations to the body if, if he fought exactly like that against uh, Nasruddin Imavov he would have beaten Imavov yeah, because well, he started fighting like that in the third round because he was down and his corner told him he needed to go for it. So he just fucking bit down and fought and he absolutely bitched Nasadine Imavov in that last round. So just like, just, just, just fight, dude. Like there's no like fucking magical martial arts secret that you're going to stumble across. Just walk the guy down and throw punches is what, is what you're good at. Like he had a he had a bunch of fights where he really bought into the idea that he was a flashy ranged kicker because he knocked out Impa Kasunganai with a with a funny jumping kick, uh, and and then and then spent like spent like three rounds trying to land left high kicks on Antonio Arroyo, who was like seventeen inches taller than him, and it didn't work. And then he got into a clinch exchange and threw an overhand on the exit and knocked the guy out instantly. It's like, dude, dude. Yeah, a very uh, frustrating fighter versus Chris Curtis. And normally that type of fighter is someone who's is going to get consistently beaten by Chris Curtis. I'm not sure if I'm going to say Curtis by finish, but, well, I'm going to, but I'm not going to say I believe that wholeheartedly. I just think it's a distinct possibility. He really might get the finish. He might though. get the finish. Uh, he, like, he's a good body Buckley hitter. gasses. He hits the body a lot. Yeah, yeah. B- Buckley is durable, but he's not like the type of durable where I'm not going to pick people who are pretty reliable like finish pushers to get him out of there. Yeah, and a clean, accurate puncher who's fast for the weight class. Yeah, and it is kind of a fight between two middleweights that are functionally welterweights. Yeah. So, great matchup. I'm going to pick Chris Curtis by... Uh, Third round TKO. Yeah, me too. Uh, we got Billy Quarantillo versus Alexander Hernandez. Okay, so like this fight's weird. I think Billy's going to beat the shit out of him. Oh, he's going to destroy him. Uh, I mean, Alexander Hernandez at featherweight is already just a worry because it's like, what about the way that you are losing these fights at lightweight says, I'm just too small. There's other problems with Alexander Hernandez, which are that he has no fucking confidence as soon as he gets any pushback. He he's athletic, he's strong, he can look technically sharp when he still like has that first round confidence and he believes in what he's doing. Um, but he just can't sustain it at all against like anyone who can really bring a fight to him. He's the classic just like likes winning, doesn't like fighting kind of fighter. And Billy Quarantillo is a fucking lunatic. He pushes a ridiculous pace. He fights you everywhere. Like th- this is a guy who every way, every time he loses, it's because he like gets drowned and breaks uh, versus a guy whose entire game is drowning people and breaking them in just sheer relentless pace and offense. Um, and also, he's ridiculously durable. So, so there's, 
There's no reason to pick Alexander Hernandez unless it turns out going like he makes featherweight comfortably and just has a dramatic strength advantage and just kind of sits in Billy Quarantillo's garden, doesn't let him do anything, and is actually just able to sustain that for 15 minutes. But I gotta see that to believe it. it particularly for him to be able to do it for 15 minutes and not giving Billy Billy Quarantillo an opportunity to, to just get some crazy shit going in this fight. It's just it's genuinely a horrifying matchup for him and i don't think there's anything to be gained by alexander hernandez going down to featherweight yeah this fight also breaks a trend that he's had um ever since his fight with islam makhachev got canceled uh in in early 2020 he fights uh like a fight that's just outside the top 15 that's functionally elite in their own way and then he fights a can and he loses to the good fighter then gets he dusts the can. So, like, dr- yeah. Over. So this is a problem. He, he, he yeah. You know, you're you're right. He uh, gets knocked out by Drew Dober. Then he fights Mike Breeden. He fights oh, Chris Breedsmacker. Then he fights Thiago Moises. Puts up like an okay fight against Thiago, uh, but loses unanimously. Then Tiago, not a guy who's going to push a finish. Yeah, no, and he they dust Mike Breeden both the punches in the like immediately in the first round. Uh, then he loses to Hanato Makano. And then, if we were keeping with his old tradition, he would be fighting someone that's I don't know, he'd, he'd fight like Chase Hooper, yeah, or like the guy that that got knocked out, uh, or Chris Moutinho or something. He like he would he'd fight Chris Moutinho in his featherweight debut or some shit. Uh, but instead they're actually giving him a terrible matchup so it feels like the UFC is just kind of sick of his bullshit yeah I mean which I get it fair enough <laughs> that's the fights right we don't need to talk about these nah. we still got a fight night to talk about so then on to a ridiculous fight card I thought it was one of the better fight nights of the year yeah this card was fucking violent and the main event in the process of us describing every conceivable thing that may or may not happen in this fight, we hit upon a lot of things that ended up being pertinent. Something that I don't think we put out there as a possibility was that Stephen Thompson versus Kevin Holland was going to be like a vicious war. <laughs> there was always a possibility. I just kind of thought that someone would get, or I thought like Wonder Woman would get finished if that was happening. But his chin's still there. Yeah, me too. But Wonder Boy, it, like, is crazy. Like, you you look at him fight Bilal Muhammad, and it's like, oh, he's just shot, obviously. And then in this fight, it's like, I mean, you know, it's cliche, whatever. But like, give him a fight where he just gets to strike, and he looks twenty five. He is still so fast. His chin is fantastic. He can t- he can take a shot with the best of them and recover when he gets fucked up. He, his cardio was crazy. He threw so many fucking wheel kicks and like huge blitzes and shit in this fight. It was a crazy pace. Yeah, I will like literally have a fight with anyone who says Stephen Thompson is boring. Stephen Thompson is based and cool and good at striking. I don't even feel like I have to explain to our listeners that his kickboxing record is made up and not a thing. Like we know that. Who cares? He's he's fun in MMA. Yeah, that's independent of viewing his actual skill set within his career that he has made his primary career. Yeah, and this fight was competitive early. As it went on, less and less so. This was an absolute fucking shit-kicking by the end of the fight. And Holland's hand broke in the first round. 
Was that in the first round? Yeah, I believe it was in the sequence where he hurt Wonder Boy. So he like injured his own hand, almost finishing it. He said that, but I have a feeling it was something to do with the 4,000 left high kicks that he took on one hand uh, over, over the course of the rest of the fight. Uh, yeah. I've also got to, got to say, Stephen Thompson's still improving on certain things. Like, um, I think a criticism that people have kind of had of him before is he's actually a very right-sided kicker. Yeah, the people consider him not to be like a proactive striker he more just needs to have someone push the pace to get him to do something whereas this fight he actually did his own things yeah he he went forward he led um his his left kick looked fantastic um you know he didn't just rely on when southpaw i'll use the 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 lead leg to to do the side kick and like the the lead high kick over the shoulder and then in orthodox you can uh, just spin through to to kick with the right leg like he was just fucking blasting kevin holland with left high kicks oh and then i think it was early in the fourth round we had another classic ray thompson corner moment where he just where you just hear him shout work the body baby and uh stephen thompson throws a sickening left kick to the liver which folded kevin holland um and then oh uh, yeah so yeah something else we got to mention Kevin Holland uh threw away the fight because he wanted to have a cool fight Stephen Thompson wanted to win yeah uh Holland would at one point just like accidentally barreled over him and ended up in top position and then he was like yeah but this is a a fight I'm gonna I'm gonna fuck this guy up on the feet but really it was just him kind of playing to the crowd too much like just do the thing that makes you win you already had a good fight Sometimes it's, you're not a bitch because you had a good performance. No, um, but the, yeah, and this is the thing about Kevin Holland. He he came in to to have a banger and put on a fun fight, and Stephen Thompson was like, "I fucking want to win." Like you just see that difference in the demeanor between these two guys when they're fighting. That like, yeah, Stephen Thompson, he's got this, he's got this nice guy karate dude thing going on, but in the fight, he'll touch gloves on a reset or whatever. But when Kevin Holland's talking to him, he's just like, shut up, dude. He's just, he's just punching him in the face. He, he's just in the fight. He's not, he's not fucking around when you're actually in the fight. They high five and touch gloves a lot, but it was like a full fight that Holland didn't really engage in to a certain point because it seemed like he was trying to slow the pace after he injured his hand. Also, I got to use the bathroom real quick. Go back. Yeah, I don't think it was just that uh, Holland was trying to slow the pace down. I think it was that he like came into this fight being like, oh yeah, I'm going to fight Wonderboy. We're going to have a striking match. It's going to be so much fun. Um, then he started getting hit a lot. You know, he kept going, slow down, slow down. This old boy's fast. Yeah, Kevin Holland just suddenly realized he was in a fight with a faster, cleaner, more efficient striker and... Yeah, again, like things that you brought up, uh, Kevin Holland not fighting in a way that utilizes his reach advantage at all and just literally jumping into the pocket, throwing wild hooks and having such exaggerated defensive reactions to blitzes and throwaways that Wonderboy just absolutely pieced him up the, the later this fight went. Um, and by the time Kevin Holland realized, 
oh yeah, I should just wrestle the guy who loses fights where people do that. Um, he had already just been beaten up. Like his hand was broken. He had his body kicked to shit. Um, and we are starting to see some of this like just Looney Tunes-esque durability from Kevin Holland start to go because he took off he took a beating in this fourth round like someone several people dropped the ball because he should have been taken out of this fight when he was he was a fucking heavy bag there he was standing there his hand was fucked he wasn't doing anything he was just taking shots he was just somewhat stoically getting his ass beaten never seen someone eat so many just like grazing head kicks and then he actually finally gets dropped with it with a left straight towards the end of the fourth round. Yeah, I, I do think that uh, Holland was going into the fight wanting to have a bit more venom in his style because he was saying uh, things about wanting to like go out and like actually fuck him up. And of course, he was thinking like, yeah, I'm going to do like some kung fu versus karate silliness. But it it did seem in the first round like it or like the first couple rounds really like it was more of him trying to go out and like fuck him up. Just on yeah, the but I think I, I think that was the thing that he was just trying to fuck him up, and he was just being like aggressive and wild, and didn't actually take the style matchup for what it was, which is like, oh, this guy's actually really fast and positionally responsible and a good counterpuncher. Um, like he didn't key into any of the liabilities the Wonder Boy has, you know, even in striking matchups in MMA or any of the like physical or technical tools that Kevin Holland would have needed to have to win that kind of fight. He was just like, I'll simply knock him out. And then had less and less ideas about how to do that as the fight went on and has like, like I'm almost certain it was the left high kicks that broke Kevin Holland's hand in this fight. So a cool fight from Stephen Thompson. Don't know where he goes from here. Um, in, incredibly poor brain thinking by Kevin Holland that shows that yeah. he's never really going to be an elite fighter. No. Just the fact that he won't just take a win because anytime he got on the ground, he was like, oh, well, if Wonderboy like, showed an ability to get up from the position, I would be like, okay, well, that's not just a win condition against him. But it does really seem like nowadays it's just a win condition to get on top of him. Yeah, and Kevin Holland's like, he's a He's a really dangerous submission threat. He's got good ground and pound. Yeah, he's like a good grappler. It's it, it's not even just the being on top of Wonder Boy is, is easy thing. It's he has things stylistically that would be really fucking difficult for Wonder Boy to handle if he was pressing a grappling advantage reliably. And he didn't even have to enforce it. He just at one point Wonder Boy like blitzes in and just kind of like Holland doesn't back up and they just collide. And Wonder Boy, I think. The biggest thing he's lost with age is strength. I think he is physically very weak now. He's still powerful, still fast, but I think he is not strong anymore. Not only did he not take the win, he also openly stated, I'm not going to do this. Like, you can do whatever you want on the feet. because You don't have to worry about a grappling threat at all, which, you know, could have been an avenue into Kevin, Kevin Holland getting a win on the feet by actually establishing that as a threat. Um. Not only did he fight like a dumbass and not do the thing that he needed to do to win, he didn't even take the accidental win when it was just just laid out in front of him. And so, I mean, you're right, Kevin Holland's never going to be elite, and that's 
fine. Uh, I think it's it kind of yeah, un- physical or like even brain thinking potential to do it. Uh, it's just really like. And this is the thing. He definitely has the physical potential, but just I, I, I think something to consider is like, um, Kevin Holland. You know, he kind of got into this position almost by accident, just because mainly because he stayed really active during lockdown and like just took a bunch of fights where he got a bunch of like cool finishes over not very good people and he's like a likable personality he's a fun guy to have around but i think he still sees mma as like a party trick and you know it's all very well and good saying oh if he did this and this and this then oh he could be an elite fighter and um and I can't can't help but think of the the, the line from Harold and Kumar. Yeah, just because you're hung like a moose doesn't mean you got to do porn. Like fucking like the life of an elite fighter is hard, and it takes a tremendous amount of discipline. And like Kevin Holland likes smoking weed and playing video games. Like it's like it's fine. Not everyone has has to be that guy. It was unfair to put unrealistic competitive expectations on Kevin Holland just because he knocked out the ghost of Jacare Souza with a breakdancing move. Yeah, it it was just like frustrating due to the fact it seemed like he actually wanted to. He just kind of he he was thinking it came off as a lack of confidence to me. Like he's very confident in some ways, but you know, it's not like a binary thing. Like he's very confident in himself as like a person but he's not confident enough that he could actually be like an elite fighter if he's trying hard. He, so he, he kind of has the thing where he doesn't want to try hard because then if he tries hard and fails, he looks like a bitch. Yeah, I think that's something that really defines Kevin Holland's career is that entire mentality that as long as I'm just fucking around and having fun, then the results of the fights don't matter because I'm just fucking around. But if you know if we start taking it seriously and you know people are expecting him to win then uh suddenly he looks like an asshole when he loses and it's like at that point you got to remind yourself if you're if you're a real kevin holland boy you fell in love with this guy because he like uh lost like a 30 25 decision to tiago santos in his ufc debut where he did flying omoplatas and shit talked yeah i like i'm I'm always going to be a Kevin Holland fan because he's just like funny as fuck. Like MMA is a stupid sport and it's silly and like it's okay to have these guys around. And I mean, maybe that's unfair, but you know, like a a fight is a story and sometimes it's a comedy. (laughs) Yeah. Like looking at his career, he has had so many fights since the Tiago Santos fight. It's crazy. Like ever since that was, was something that was crazy that I was talking to you about the other day is that he has significantly more wins and losses on his record than Wonderboy does, which makes yeah. sense when you think about it, but it's weird. He's had 14 fights since 2018. That's crazy. He just has an insane fucking schedule against not bad opponents either. Yeah, I, I just mean if we're going to keep Kevin Holland around, we need to stop expecting him to turn the corner and be good yeah it's more just that whenever he says he's going he's going to i'm like oh uh, okay hell yeah hell yeah kevin and then he doesn't do it and it's like i just need to start expecting who he is rather than who he wants to be from him okay well uh, we should probably start getting through this card because this podcast is long uh rafael dos Sanjos uh easily destroyed brian barbarena on the ground uh brian barbarena came in with the right idea 
he was like, oh, I'm going to push a pace early. I'm going to put the pressure on. I'm going to kick with RDA. I'm going to push him back. Uh, but as I was saying, you, you've got to meet RDA's game in like every phase to beat him. Because um, even if you meet him on the feet, you're going to end up on it. You're going to end up in the clinch. And even if you can compete with him there, if he can take you down and work you from top position, he's going to do that. So, yeah, it didn't matter that uh, Barbara Brainer, like, had the right idea on the feet because they were always going to crash into the clinch and RDA just got takedowns pretty much whenever he wanted and was just absolutely smothering from top position till he was able to uh, take the back, secure the... I mean, I don't even think the choke was fully on. I think I think it was on the jaw, but RDA's got that kind of squeeze. That it it does, doesn't really fucking matter. Yeah, it was a complete outclassing. It, it was also, like, the most predictable fight on the card. Yeah. Like, pretty much everyone got that one right. He was a huge I, favorite. I still love to see your old RDA get a win. Um, <clears throat> he called out Conor McGregor. Honestly, at this point, genuinely an entirely, like, reasonable fight to make if Conor McGregor wants to make a return. Um, and, you know, there's that history to it. They were, um, they were booked to fight all that time ago. Would have picked RDA... Uh, back then, and I'm gonna pick him if that fight ever gets made. <laughs> RDA is a fucking legend. He's he's the real the real fucking BMF. He has fought everyone. I think if he doesn't end up in a, in the UFC Hall of Fame upon retirement, would would be a travesty. Yeah, and uh, this the rest of the card. We were kind of right for most of it, even when we were wrong. Yeah, and there was a lot of flavor picks just because guys we like were fighting. I mean, obviously, we knew that there was a good chance that Tai Tuivasa was going to get dusted. Uh, yeah, and like we kind of laid out how it would happen. Like he's he's not as good in the first round as his record would lead you to believe, and then he got dusted in the first round by a guy whose thing is dusting people in the first round. Uh, Mateusz Nikolaou, he easily beat Machinel because Machinel is is not a like he he's not a good striker and his chin is not great yeah um and he was and he really didn't have a grappling threat in the matchup no and he was exactly the kind of matchup to nicolau he's he's generally a kind of like, well-schooled and consistent but not particularly dangerous counterpuncher and Machinel, kind of guy who's going to make you uh suddenly look a lot more dangerous also something to remind yourself of that people love seeing fights like uh schnell versus sumidajri and they love seeing guys have those kind of wins but you can't keep doing that shit forever yeah, and having the dog in you does not mean that you are a fighter who can reliably do that. Because Sumadarji is a good fighter, but he's not like a consistent guy in the sense that he's going to be able to to finish someone if he's getting a bunch of huge rocks on them. No, he's just very dangerous in singular moments. Yeah, and that's not necessarily the type of fighter that Machinel is going to have difficulty with. Machinel has difficulties with if you are a like a borderline elite fighter or elite fighter who can ding him and then follow up or even just follow up and like pull the trigger after you've heard him. Cause he has been beaten by, uh, like genuinely very good fighters and, and he's beaten some decent fighters. Like he's, he's not a bad fighter by any stretch. It's just, he's not the type of fighter where 
the Sumodarji fight is indicative of his style at all. No, and it's, it's like, like the only fight he's ever performed like that ever. No, and just like um, I don't know, like the way, like him him fighting like his chin liabilities are just not even an issue is a weird thing that's going to give him success in certain matchups. Um, like he actually hurt Brandon Royville early just because like Brandon Royville's not really a counter threat and has bad defense and is slow. Um, but then it's also other. It's also a thing that's just going to walk him into exchanges that he can't sustain in a lot of other matchups. Uh, anyway, fu- fucking Roman Delizze beat Jack Hermanson. It was awesome. He got him it with was, John Cena's finisher. It was actually uh, some WWE bullshit. And you know, for a while, the fight was looking exactly as you would expect it to. It was just like, oh, Hermanson's just kicking him up easily. Now Roman Delidze, I like, oh, let's grapple, motherfucker. And Hermanson is still just like dealing with all the positions very competently from top and just not letting Delidze get weird shit off off on him. And then he pulled a calf slicer and used it to secure a back mount, which he finished Jack Hermanson from. It was actually one of the coolest things i've ever seen it's like if uh hani yaya was fucking massive it's like, it's like 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 what if you put hani yaya in the body of jared cannon um, and eric anders dusted Dawkins. yeah he did kind of beat the shit out of him yeah um kind of as we said uh Dorcas being like way more well-rounded and like like technically better didn't matter because when he wasn't able to get takedowns against uh someone just dramatically stronger than him his whole game fell apart and it seems like um uh, the injury that he sustained against Roman Delidze might be something that's like having a permanent effect on how he's fighting which is pretty rough Phil Rowe and Nico Price had an awkward long boy bagger where Nico Price gassed out because he has bad mechanics, but nearly got the finish. And then Phil Rowe got the finish because he was longer and does a one-two. Yeah, Phil Rowe's neat because he kind of his whenever he finishes someone, it looks a bit like if Alex Pereira was flatly incompetent uh positionally. Like the the instincts are there and like the thought process is there. Like he's like, Oh, I'll I'll wait my turn to see a perfect counter. I'll I'll take the the opportunity, blast him. Extremely then, drunk, Alex Pereira. Yeah, yeah, and like then I'll wait for my opponent to lash out. They'll miss because I'm really far away, and then I'll blast him with something nice. It, like it looks aesthetically pleasing until you think about what's happening. You're like, oh, well, he could have just thrown like a like two left hooks consecutively and finished Nico Price at any point after he hurt him, but instead he, he made it just look neater, I guess, which isn't a bad thing, I guess, uh, I suppose, but. It's just always funny because whenever I watch Philip Rowe finish someone, it j- he focuses so much more on looking cool than just doing the finish. It it seems like it's almost a function of his style where he didn't get good at the things to just finish someone. He can only do it if his cool shit's working. Oh, and Angela Hill outclassed Emily Ducote. Yeah, the prelims were kind of mostly defined by... Um uh weird old boy wins i guess a lot of this card kind of was but yeah we had a bunch of performances from uh fighters who you would just expect to be absolutely at their worst physically having some of their like best most consistent performances angela hill as you say fucking outclassed emily dakoti um just 
offered of like pace and variety that Dakota just like couldn't really deal with. Um, through the most strikes I've ever seen Angela Hill throw in a fight, very clearly won all three rounds. Her kicks looked cleaner than they've ever looked. J- just walked Dakota around and uh, uh, and just pieced her up. Great performance. Uh, Clay Guida and Scott Holtzman kind of went to war. Yeah, short hair Clay Guida, a force to be reckoned with still. He he really, uh, he. I mean, I'm not even going to say that he did anything different. He just fought like Clay Guida always does. He, he does he look better with face. the short hair, though, doesn't he? I think he looks pretty all right with it, yeah. It, it's just the long hair is kind of his thing. Yeah, Scott Holtzman maybe had an argument for winning this fight, but like, it's Clay Guida, you got to... Like like Scott Holtzman just doesn't have the output to win a Clay Guida decision. You you, you know if you, if you're gonna just hang around and wait for your moments, then Clay Guida is gonna like he's gonna win on optics because he's just like doing so much all the time, even if a lot of it isn't like uh, like meaningful to the fight in any way. Yeah, and, and something I would like to mention about the uh, about Scott Holtzman. The UFC pretty much cut away while he was trying to retire and didn't even give him the opportunity to like say anything, which is fucked up because he's a good fighter. Uh, so they didn't give him any credit, but we'll give him credit. Scott Holtzman was sick. Yeah, Scott Holtzman, he deserved his moment. Like, he had a, he had a um, sick career. He, yeah, he had, he had some good fights. He beat some decent guys and like there was no reason to expect like big things for Scott Holtzman coming into MMA that late in life off of a career in hockey. Scott Holtzman, like, yeah, not a lot of fanfare was going to be made of his retirement, but uh, like very respectable level of fighter. Shout out Scott Holtzman. Uh, yeah, Michael Johnson also had... The most consistent performance of his career since, like, his fights against like Tony Ferguson and Edson Barboza, where he actually just did stuff that worked for three rounds and didn't take his eye off the ball at all. Uh, I think Mark Casey came into this fight being like, "Okay, I got back in the win column with a couple of lame out wrestling matches. Time to do some striking with Michael Johnson." And then suddenly Mark Casey realized that his entire striking game is like being athletic and fast and having a couple of tricks. And Michael Johnson is actually a very just like fundamentally well-schooled kickboxer for MMA. So Casey was like, "Okay, let's do some wrestling." And then he would shoot a takedown and Michael Johnson would just be ready with a sprawl and GK yeah, and just still has good hips. Yeah, he still has good hips and he's still fast. Like and he's always had a good sprawl. Um and just Casey just didn't try to add another layer to it at all. And it's like if he had actually just tried to like run up to Michael Johnson and just grab him and just squish him up against the cage, he could have really got some stuff done. But uh he just let himself get out wrestled and pieced up. Solid performance by Michael Johnson. Yeah. Um, then Darren Elkins, he, he's just a shell of himself. He is a shell of himself. He got mostly tooled by Jonathan Pierce. Um, Not even a bad loss, but no, still. No, Jonathan Pierce himself. is good, but like, I don't know what, I don't know if, what, what to expect for Jonathan Pierce at featherweight moving forward. Because watching this fight kind of makes me think, yeah, maybe him getting dusted early by old Joe Lozon like isn't a fluke. Because if there's anything that's impressive about this performance, it's that he like consummately outgrappled Darren Elkins, 
which is like actually genuinely not easy to do even at this point in Darren Elkins' career. Um, but uh, yeah, he told up Darren Elkins on the feet, but he got hit so much just with like ugly clubbing overhands in the third round. Darren Elkins just doesn't have the mechanics to hit with power. It makes me think like being, you know, you know, a, a striker with some ideas, but not being that dangerous and not having very good defense and your real bread and, bread and butter being like a slick scrambly grappler. Again, like I said, it's just never been, uh, never been proven to be the way forward at featherweight. Also, this fight should have been stopped. I get Darren Elkins has had like the Massad Bektic fight and stuff, but like when he was just like sliced up in the third round and he, like I say, he was, he was hitting uh, Jonathan Pierce a bunch and he just wasn't doing anything. It's like, come on, what, what are we doing here, boys? And, uh, and, and then to finish up the card, not really going to mention the Nathan Levy, General Valdez fight. Not much to talk about in it, but no, other than Natan Levy should go to karate combat. Yes. Uh, and then uh, Francis Marshall won against Marcelo Rojo by basically being young with no wear and tear and being athletic. And then Yeah, pretty much. Just Rhodes had a banger out. with the guy who's had too many bangers and had had less bangers than the guy, so the other guy got knocked out. Yeah, it, it was a nice enough finish. It was nice. Uh, then Yasmin Uruguay versus Stella Nunez. Actually a sick fight, though. Yeah, that was a banger. Uh, yeah, Stella Nunez... Um, I mean, this fight makes me think that her loss to Sam Hughes is like not just a wrestling thing. I think she's one of these fighters who comes in in the first round. She's plugged in. She's fast. She's dangerous. She looks sharp. She she's got some good ideas. You know, she dropped Haragui uh, Haragui early, um, but when Haragui uh, was able to recover and put the pressure on and started just like really uh, pushing Estela Nunez back. She just got really uncomfortable and kind of just fell out of the fight until she just, like, uh, got clanged on an exit and finished on the ground. Good card. Yeah. Uh, we, we could have talked more about some of these fights if we hadn't already uh, spent so long on, on that pay-per-view. That'll happen on a good card. So, yeah, if you enjoyed this content and all the other great stuff that the Fight Site puts out, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where a pledge of just $5 gains access to a huge library, really high-quality analytical content, uh, and also to a Discord server. We have a great community of cool fight fans, fun to hang out with, talk to, watch fights with and stuff. You can talk to staff, ask us questions. It's always good fun. Uh, this has been the Forbidden Technique Podcast. Catch us next week where I will recap anything cool from UFC 282 and get into, I guess, the last card of the year, which had to be a weird middleweight main event between Jared Cannonier and Sean Strickland. See you guys then. Peace. Later. Later.